Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put the Baton Rouge area code in, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. I know they're doing a little bit of tower work this morning, so I'm not sure how good we're getting out locally, but... If you're listening on iHeart or on on the station 107.3.com, uh, com, yeah, right. any of those you can hear. So give us a call. That's it. We're ready to answer some questions. <laughs> Rip roaring and ready to go. There you go. <laughs> we were talking just a little bit before we came on the air, and we're talking about some of the questions that we get a lot of. Uh huh. And it seems like at least once or twice a week, I'll get the question that, well, my car wouldn't start, wouldn't crank over. So I'll replace the starter, uh-huh. and it still won't crank over. What do you think it could be? And I always kind of cringe when I get that email. Right. Because what occurs to me is that with a voltmeter, which is a very, very inexpensive and easy-to-use tool, you so, could have prevented purchasing the starter that you didn't need. That you didn't need. need, right. Voltmeter, a digital voltmeter is what you should have. Mm-hmm. The, remember the old analog yes. meters with the swing needle? Yes. You should not use those no, in automobiles those are anymore. Those basically useless anymore and can cause problems with right. digital circuits. So, But get, get a digital volt on meter. That's right. That almost is like a ratchet wrench used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's just that important. There's just almost nothing you're going to be able to do on a car without at least a rudimentary voltmeter or, or more now. It's it's called a DVOM, a digital right. volt on meter. Because they combine them, and I mean, you can get a cheap one for probably less than ten dollars. Yeah, get a pretty good one for forty or fifty dollars. And mean, I mean, they go up to thousands depending well, on what you want to do. If you with want them. an absolute professional with all kinds of features, you could spend a lot more. I think a couple of hundred dollars, you could probably get the lower end fluke, which is a real, real good one. Right, probably much better than most do-it-yourselfers will ever, ever need. A lot of, a lot of those have different features, so they cost. That's why the price difference. You well, know, some of them have a thermometer in them. Right, they'll add a min-max where you can right. check voltage over a period of time, minimum and maximum. There's all kinds of little features they can add, in, which are nice if you know how to use them. Correct, that's the key, knowing how to use them. Well, that's right. If you don't know how to use it, then it's kind of senseless to pay for it because you're not going to use it. Well, I mean, if you don't understand it, you can go yourself so wrong with it. Well, that's right. It It'll just, lead you in the wrong direction. That's exactly right, and that's true of any type of tool, any type of meter uh-huh. or gauge or whatever and we're going to talk a whole lot more about that in just a minute let's All catch right. our phone line we've got kevin online good morning kevin yeah hey uh i'm here from west virginia giving you a call this morning oh well, great thank uh, you. good to talk to you guys uh there lewis and brian thank hey, you i have a question for you this morning i have a 2002 ford ranger mm-hmm. and it is the 4.0 although that's not really going to be relevant here Mm-hmm. But I had a brake line failure back at the splitter over the rear end. Okay. And just to get it to my mechanic, I just went ahead and put a vice grip on that right. rubber hose back coming down just to get it there. Mm-hmm. And it ended up causing another brake up line <laughs> above the fuel tank. Anyway, long story short, got that fixed. The brake system has been fixed and bled. And also, I remember you all speaking of using a computer to actually bleed the air out of the ABS system. Some because of them you have to do that. Yeah, because before before the brake line went, it seemed like whenever I tried to come to a stop, I mm-hmm. could feel the vehicle, the pedal would go down right before you come to a stop. The pedal would seem to move a little bit, mm-hmm. and it almost felt like the analog brake system was just allowing the tires to spin even though you were trying to stop. 
Okay. And that's kind of what gave me the indication I had error still in the line. After having everything fixed and supposedly having that done, it's still mm-hmm. doing the same thing. Okay. And I was wondering, would a there's no check engine light on, but would a right. speed sensor or something cause that to happen? Well, it's almost like the truck thinks it's locking a tire up. Yeah, I think more likely, Kevin, it's probably going to be a conventional brake-type problem. And a couple things come to my mind right off the bat. One is okay. they have what they call a brake proportioning valve. And Mm -hmm. it's not only to proportion pressure, but there's a little slide valve inside. If one side of the system fails, like what happened on yours, that Mm -hmm. valve is going to slide over, which is going to block the flow to those so you don't completely lose your brakes. Okay. Now, Mm -hmm. if it's kind of an old part and kind of rusty, a lot of times those will stick in that position. And what you have to do to to center it up is to introduce a leak in, say, the front and then bleed Mm -hmm. the back. And that way, the pressure on the back will push it more towards the front. Then you can go okay. ahead and bleed the entire system. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Now, another is when the failure occurred, your pedal probably went much lower than it normally ever travels. Yes, sir. Now, a master cylinder, particularly an older one, there's going to be some corrosion built up at the end of that master cylinder because it never travels that far. Mm-hmm. Now, when you take that old kind of brittle piston and cup and push it over that corroded area, you can damage that seal to where it starts bypassing internally. Now, you won't lose fluid externally, but when you apply mm-hmm. the brakes, the pedal will slowly kind of sink to the floor. You pump it, mm-hmm. hit it, it'll come back up, and then slowly sink back down again. Okay. And mm-hmm. it kind of sounds more like that may be what's going on with it. Generally, with ABS, what you're going to get is a kind of a rapid vibration, like as those valves yep. cycle. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you're not feeling that, chances are it's probably not going into ABS. If it's just sinking, it's more likely going to be a conventional problem and most likely okay. one of those two issues. Yeah, it, it does almost sound like the way you're trying to introduce it. Mm-hmm. And for the In the interest of sound effects, that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> it's like a ticket, 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 ticket. Okay, and it right. Just kinda, it just kind of skis to going, which is okay as long as you anticipate it. But like mm-hmm. in the wintertime, mm-hmm. you know, here in West Virginia, in the wintertime, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you're trying absolutely. to stop. And it keeps going, and, and, you know, anything that introduces a little bit of a slide in the wintertime is mm-hmm. a horrible thing, especially if you're headed down. Oh, absolutely. But, and, uh, see, most likely, if it were a real speed sensor, you'd have a light because it's going to check the circuit and make sure that all that is there. Okay. So, more likely, it's going to be some air trapped somewhere in it. Now, one thing you could try to do just yourself, Kevin, mm-hmm. obviously, if you've got a scan tool, you can go in and cycle the valves and bleed it out with a pressure tank, and that's the, the ideal but you might sure. try like a gravel road somewhere, get it okay. on that gravel road and hit the brakes real hard, let it lock up and cycle, then come back okay. and bleed it again. Because okay. that sort of kind of does the same thing just mechanically. Okay. And see if that and, doesn't help. And that's great. And I'll try that out and see if that works. It was my grandfather's truck when mm-hmm. he passed away. I got it. So I'm okay. just trying to fix it up because yes, it's sir. been sitting a lot outside. Uh-huh. One more question if you have a second. You bet. Go ahead. Uh, Hey, uh, this truck, I know the miniature pickup trucks, for some reason, they they seem to be almost as heavy as a full size and get worse mileage. <laughs> <laughs> it gets about 14 to 15 miles per gallon. Right. Is that about common for what you guys see? I mean, I pretty, know I'm in the mountains, but pretty still, common. that seems really low. It is pretty common on those, particularly with a four-liter. That's a pretty big six-cylinder engine, and mm-hmm. they just don't get really great mileage. You see, the, the trucks didn't fall under the CAFE standards at that time, so there's really no... Mm-hmm omnis on the manufacturers to do a whole lot of work with them to make them get better mileage they could sell all they could build at the mileage they're mm-hmm. getting so they didn't really come under the same standards as the cars did at that time and i think they've since changed that so some effort is being put into getting better gas mileage on trucks but the most part they are more boxy so they're harder to push through the air they are mm-hmm. geared down lower and they just didn't get all the same features that the cars got 
Okay. So, yeah, that's well, not unusual to see that. I mean, I've seen some of them get maybe 16, and that's where you got really a driver who's really, really you know, uh, easy on it. But they yeah. just don't get great, great gas mileage. Well, I appreciate that. I I know my father just bought a new Dodge, which 2001 to a brand new Dodge pickup. So a uh-huh. lot of year, you know, a lot of uh-huh. changes. But that coming 6.7, man, he's getting 22, 23 right. on the flats. Right. You That's know? right. But but then again, it's revving at about a thousand RPM on the interstate, whereas I'm almost at three thousand. That's truck, exactly so, right. Yeah. It's geared but way I guess way that's down. Four ten gears. Yeah, yep. it's geared yep. way way down, and it's got easier releasing calipers, and also it rolls freer. It's got better aerodynamics. Mm-hmm. It's just the whole package is just designed to get better fuel mileage. I got you. Well, guys, I don't want to hold you up any longer, but I sure appreciate your time. Hi, Thank Kevin. We sure appreciate you calling. Hey, take care now. Thanks, man. Thank bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If Kevin can call from West Virginia, then you can call from Baton Rouge. There you go. <laughs> well, great to put a little guilt trip on everybody. <laughs> We're going back to lines with Ty. Good morning, Ty. Good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got a small problem. Sure. I have a Chevy pickup, mm-hmm. 305, 96 series, and it's not getting any gas. Okay. And is there some way I can tell if it's the fuel pump? Oh yeah, absolutely. What you want to do? Yeah, well, what you want to do first? You want to determine that it's not getting fuel, which it sounds like you already have. But you can be fooled by that. So I would first put a fuel pressure gauge on it, cycle the ignition, and if you still got zero fuel pressure, then you know for sure. Because I've seen people say, "Well, it's not getting gas," and have a bad crank sensor, it's just not starting. So they're assuming it's not getting gas. Now, and right. I, I'm not insinuating that, but I'm just saying, be sure that it is not getting gas. To check the fuel pressure on that vehicle, you have to have a special fitting that goes in place of the fuel filter where you can tap a gauge in. Right. That system does not have an external port. Right. But that's a, a relatively inexpensive tool right. that almost any parts store would have. Now, if you're certain it's not getting fuel, the next thing is to go to the fuel pump, unplug the lines, and you're going to have four wires there and i believe is it the light gray wires the power wire man i'd have to look at a wire i'd have to look at a wire and diagram but one of them is going to be the power wire the black one is going to be the ground and the other two are going to be for the fuel sender unit when you cycle the ignitioners when you turn the key on you should have power there for about a second or two but then it's going to cut off so you can't just turn the key on and go check it because what it does, if it doesn't see the crank sensor picking up rpm it's not going to allow the fuel pump to keep running for, for fire reasons so you would have to check there first. Now, if you've got power and ground there and you still have no fuel pressure, the problem is inside the tank. It doesn't mean it's the pump because it could be the connector inside the tank is burned off or, I mean, technically it could be out of gas. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know that sounds silly. but It does, but we have seen it before. I've seen the fuel gauge reading wrong and the yeah. car run out of gas and people drop the tank to find that out. So, again, you might want to dump an extra gallon or two of gas in there just to verify that. But, yeah, if you've got yeah. voltage there and it's not running, then you're into the fuel pump. Now, if you don't have voltage there, you have to go back to the relay, check there, because, again, you got, and even on a 96 model, you do have an immobilizer system on there. If it thinks it's being stolen, it can shut the fuel pump off. So there is more involved than just yeah. going in and throwing parts at it. You're going to have to get a voltmeter and do some testing. Okay. All right. Uh, another, another simple thing with this one, I was getting a check engine thing. Mm-hmm. And I went to one of these parts places and had them check it. Mm-hmm. And it checked out to be oxygen sensor. Okay. And is that something that I can replace real simply? Well, you can't change the oxygen because you don't know for sure that's wrong. See, you got to understand how codes work, Ty. That code does not say the oxygen sensor is bad. It says there is a problem in the oxygen sensor circuit. circuit. See, and then there's multiple oxygen sensor codes. You have a heater circuit code 
which means computer diagnosis, yeah. Okay, and then you've got a reading code, which is going to be a reading fault type code, which is a totally separate set of circumstances. But if it is a heater circuit code, the next thing you have to do, again, is go to the thing and see if you've got power and ground going to the heater circuit. Because if you don't, then it could be the computer's bad, not sending it. It could be the wire, rodent got in there and chewed the wire off. So, I mean, you can go throw a $100 oxygen sensor and hope to fix something, or you can do some diagnosis, or you take it to somebody and have them do it. But you're going to have to do some more checking. That code never, ever says that's what's wrong. Right. And the reason parts stores do that for free is because they sell a whole lot of parts that people don't need and usually end up making the problem worse. Right. So just be certain what you got. If it is a heater circuit code, then all you have to do is check and see if you've got power and ground to the oxygen sensor. If you do and you don't have, you know, it still throws the code, you could take an ohmmeter and read across that little element in the thing and see if it's an open circuit or short to ground. If it is, you could change the oxygen sensor then and be real comfortable. Uh, with that's the problem. Okay. Now you you mentioned a set of four wires on yeah, the pump. Yes, yeah, sir. Mm-hmm. Two are going to be for the sender unit, and two are going to be for the pump itself. Now, and that, you have to have a wiring diagram to tell you what colors yeah, they are. They're that color-coded. One, that one has two black wires, one for the pump and then one for the sending unit. Right. Now, and both, you can't get those mixed up. No, they're both grounds, but one's grounds to the chassis, the other one grounds through the PCM. Right. One of them is a smaller wire in diameter than the other one. That'll be the ground That'll for be the, the sending sensor. unit. Yeah. And the other one is going to be your ground for the your pump, pump, which is going to be the larger wire. Right. And for some reason, I, I want to say that wire... Purple. Either gray, it's either gray or purple. I I, I have, have to, to look at a wire yeah. diagram and tell you for yeah. sure. I just don't remember. It's been a while since I worked on a 96-mile Chevy truck. But you're going to have to find what color wires you're looking for and then check and see if you got power and ground. But where most people go wrong, they turn the key on, they get in there and they check it, and they say, well, I don't have voltage. But it's only going to have voltage for a few seconds. In other words, it, it, only, it pulses voltage to run the pump, and then it cuts it off because it doesn't see the crank sensor turning. So it won't just keep on pulsing the pump. Okay, I know a little more than I did. You, <laughs> you know a lot bunch. more than you did. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, Todd. I'll, I'll be coming in to see you for more. Okay, there you go. All right. Thanks, Carl. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. We were talking about voltmeters, uh-huh. and this is a perfect example sure. of that. Sure. In that, I've seen people go in and change a fuel pump and it still won't run uh-huh. and it ended up being the fuel pump relay or it ended up being the theft system was shutting the fuel pump down right or any number of things that could very easily have been tested for with a voltmeter and saved all of that expense with the knowledge of how the circuit works well that is a very excellent point because a fuel pump doesn't have constant voltage going Correct. through it. If it did and there was a fire, you could have a real problem. So sure. it only runs it for a second or two. Without you the engine know that. That's right. Hey, take a quick little break. Tom, hang on. You'll be straight about to this break. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. 
Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. And we're going back to our phone lines with Tom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Louis. Good morning, Brian. Yes, sir. Good morning. This is Tom from Milwaukee. Okay, Tom. I, I got a couple of questions if you got time. You bet. Sure. Okay, great. One of them, I've emailed you, Lewis, a couple of times about a Subaru that I've been working on. Okay. And you recommended a compression check. Mm-hmm. Now, on that car, you know, it's a real pain to get the spark plugs out. Mm-hmm. So do you think of, I, I think it's called a relative compression, where you put the amp thing over the cable and... I'm not sure that's going to be accurate enough for you because if you've got compression that is maybe 25 pounds low in one cylinder, it'll cause a misfire at idle, but it's probably not going to show up on that check. Now, some of the more sophisticated cars built later on, like particularly some of your Ford products, the Ford IDS has a real nice running compression check, but it's looking at the crank sensor and the load meter, which this vehicle doesn't have, and it can give you a pretty accurate compression it's not dead on, but it's pretty darn accurate. But I'm just not sure you're going to get what you need there. I would just hate to see you, because I think the next option we were thinking possibly an injector clog or something like that, which is possible, but I'd hate to go to that extent without verifying that compression first. Because if we've got maybe a broken valve spring or maybe just a valve not seating right, a guide that's carboned up, something like that, that will definitely cause the misfired idle that you're not going to really feel driving, but it will definitely give you that rough idle. Okay. Yeah. It, it drives just fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like it's just, if I'm going to take the plug. Oh, out, I understand. I will know. understand. But um, I mean, I think it would probably yeah. be worth it to you. I mean, the other option, like you yeah. had, had said, you could possibly have an injector that is either stuck partially closed or stuck partially open is flooding at idle. Mm-hmm. But of course going down the road is, it just runs fine. Or one with just a really bad pattern. It's got a piece of carbon in it, and it's just spraying a stream of gas rather than a mist. So it can't handle it at idle, but running, it doesn't care. I mean, if you poured it in there in a bucket, it would still run, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Then I'll, then I'll take the time to do a, a proper compression. So I think that would be effort well invested. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh, the next question was, my sister has a RAV4. Mm-hmm. It's a manual. Okay. And she's been having it. It won't shift into reverse. All the other gears are fine. Okay. And if I'm sitting in it with the engine off, mm-hmm. it still won't shift into. Still reverse. won't shift in reverse. Okay. No, sir. Well, that's a great test, Tom. Sounds right. like you got a fair amount of automotive knowledge. If it won't go in reverse with the engine off, then it's probably not going to be a clutch release problem or any of that. More likely, it's going to be an internal problem in the transmission or something in the shifter linkage itself. Now, on a RAV4, I'm not sure if that has a cable shifter or if it has just a gate that goes down to the top of the transmission. You have to verify that. I know we got an email from a fella here. I was going to read it later on during the show. Had a car doing a similar thing, and a piece of pea gravel had got caught in the shifter. 
and it wouldn't shift. And he thought he had a major problem, so it was kind of yeah. a, a funny thing. But earlier this week, we had a Dodge Neon come in, no reverse. Right. And I had all the other gears, and it went out all of a sudden. And on that particular one, when we got in, took the console loose, we noticed it had cable shifter, and the reverse cable had broken on the shifter. So it still had all the other gears, but it just wouldn't shift in reverse. So, I mean, you just have to figure out exactly how that shifter works and see if that's a possibility. But the shifter itself can cause that. Now, if the shifter goes down into the top of the transmission like a lot of them do, then more likely it's going to be the slider is broken or stuck or something like that inside the transmission. But if turning it off doesn't affect it, in other words, if it won't go in reverse with the motor running and does with the motor off, then we're more likely in a clutch release problem. But as you said, it won't go in either way. You probably got something either in the shifter itself or something broken in the transmission. Okay. Well, great. Thanks for clearing that up. Okay. Direction to go in it. Well, it sounds great. And, okay. Uh, well, great. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Part of Wisconsin, are you calling from? I'm out of Milwaukee. 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 Okay, good deal. Yeah, yeah I think you'd ask for, for an Agco t-shirt. Email me with the size and your address. I'll get that sent on out to you. Now, I think we're out of extra larges right now. Okay. We, we've got the large. We've got the medium. So I, I don't know if you need an extra large or not, but I'm have to. It'll no. be, if so, I'd, it'd be a little while before I get some more. We just ran out of them. No, I'm good. I'll send you my address and all that then during the week. Okay. All right. I appreciate the help. You bet, Tom. Thank you, man. Okay. You take care. Mm, bye-bye. Bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one, and I pushed the wrong button. And Again, I did, I did. I am sorry. If you call right back, I'll get you right straight back up to the top of the list. I accidentally cut you off. Did not intentionally do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one button's red, one button's green. Yeah, you, you I, I would never noticed that. <laughs> yeah, color coded and everything. There you go. There oh, you go. Well. All they can do is come in here and push the button for you. you yeah, well. <laughs> make it a little easier, <laughs> a little less foolproof. Let's put it that way. I don't know about being easier. So, we were talking about the different ways of testing uh-huh. and all and just testing is not always enough because you have to understand the idiosyncrasies of the circuit that you are testing right and a prime example is that we had a an older astro van mm-hmm. came in and mm-hmm. the rear blower for the rear heater wasn't working mm-hmm. did all the testing you'd go back there with a volt meter right 12 volts when you turn the switch it reduced down mm-hmm. fan motor we assumed the fan motor was bad right so got a fan motor put in it still wouldn't work what happened is the circuit did not get checked under a load. Right. And that was a misdiagnosis. Right. When you checked it under a load, you had no voltage right. back there. Now, a voltage drop test would have revealed that. Exactly. But if you do an incomplete test, we had another one earlier in the week where a gentleman came in, he had a squeak noise, and it sounded kind of like a belt. So Josh tightened the belt temporarily, noise went away. Uh-huh. So he took the belt off, noise, noise was completely gone. gone. Spun all the accessories by hand, didn't hear anything. Right. Put a new belt on it. It's quiet for about 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and then it starts doing it again. Okay. And what it was, the bearing in the alternator was bad. It had to get hot before it would do it. Right. When you increase the tension on the belt, you, you just covered it. it up. You loaded the bearing. Right. And when you took the belt off, you unloaded the bearing. It had to be under the proper load. So, again, even a professional mechanic can, can go wrong under certain circumstances like that. It can be real, real yeah, confusing. Yeah, it can. So, Let's catch a few of these phone calls. We've right. got Ben online. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, guys. Thank yeah. you for taking my call. You bet. Sure. Sorry for cutting you off earlier. <laughs> That's okay. I've got a 2005 Dodge 3500 diesel. Okay. And when I start it up, I'm just wanting to know whether I need to be concerned about this or not. Mm-hmm. It always starts immediately and spins the motor incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. No issues there. And my voltmeter will come 
past the uh, the normal operating range that mm-hmm. it's always it's got two hundred thousand miles on yes, it's had it mm-hmm. since two thousand five, and it 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 comes to the upper end of where it should where it would normally be. It's mm-hmm. past halfway, and then after about two minutes, it pegs over to the farthest it can go to the right, hmm. and. It's done this for about a year. I've taken it to one of the auto parts stores, Mm -hmm. and they put their tester on it and said that it must be the gauge because everything is testing out okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It has two batteries. Yes. And I put my own digital voltmeter on it, and it was showing 13.7 volts as the motor was sitting there idling. That's a little high. Um, so do do I have a problem, or are they right, or maybe is it a ground issue? I mean, no, what would your that opinion is a, uh, That is a regulated voltage system, and I think it should be regulated somewhere around 12.5 volts. Unless the batteries are discharged, it might go higher. 13.7 is not, oh, my God, this is horrible, but it is definitely higher than the normal 12.5 you would expect. I think that is controlled. The, the voltage regulation on that unit, I believe, is controlled through the PCM. So it okay. could possibly be a loose wire on the B terminal on the back of the alternator where it plugs in. Some of those terminals could be corroded or loose. That's one possibility. If not, it could be a problem within the PCM itself. If it doesn't get a lot higher than that, you could possibly live with it. But if it starts getting much higher, you can start burning things out. Jumps over 14 volts, you can start knocking stuff out, including computers. Okay. So you just need a little more sophisticated test. I would probably take that to a shop, particularly one who specializes in electrical circuitry, have them do a little bit of testing on it and see. But the only thing simple that would come to me would be like the B terminal being corroded or loose, or maybe somebody had that terminal off and front probed it at one time, spread the terminals too much. It's not making good contact there. So it's not getting an accurate report to the PCM of the voltage because PCM will cut back to field calls and cut the voltage down when it gets too high. Okay. Well, I can check that, and I definitely will check the B-terminal. Okay. Hey, thank you, guys. All right, Ben. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. John and Daniel, hang on. You guys will be straight up after this break. I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Give us a call. It's 291-6901, and we've got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. 
Good morning. Yes, Quick sir. question. 2005 Suburban, trying mm-hmm. to replace the the, uh, the serpentine belt after okay. an alternator replacement. Mm-hmm. The tensioner, when I put the 15-millimeter uh, ratchet on the front of the tensioner mm-hmm. and pull it down to mm-hmm. put the new belt on, the bolt is spinning in the tensioner. Yeah. It's not yeah. grabbing. How many miles you got, John? 160. Yeah, change change yeah. that tensioner. Change both, both Yeah, there's two tensioners on there. You got an air conditioning tensioner and you got that tensioner. Those are uh-huh. designed for 100,000-mile service life. Okay. Just change okay. it. Just, and just, if, if that and bo- they're cheap. If that bolt yeah. is turning, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to leave you stranded because yeah. it shouldn't turn at all. Well, and see, they just yeah. they, they that thing in 100,000 miles, it has gone through 1 billion cycles. Right. It has worn slam yeah. out. Yeah, just do yourself a favor. Change both belts and both tensioners. They're, they're real cheap. and. Yeah. Yeah. They cause more trouble. I mean, I've seen air conditioning compressors burned up because that tensioner didn't hold enough tension and the belt slipped just slightly and overheated the thing and burnt the compressor up. Mm. I mean, I've seen alternators change. I've seen yeah. all kinds of silliness just because people don't want to change those tensioners. But, yeah, they have a life, man. hundred grand is it. Just change right. both tensioners you'll be good, and both belts. You'll be good. All right, guys. Thank all right, man. Y'all. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're part of the automotive hour. And we've got Daniel online. Good morning, Daniel. How you doing there? Doing wonderful, doing great. Sir. Thanks, guys. I love your show from Thank Dayton, you. Ohio. Oh, and, well, great. Uh, Thanks. Listen to you guys on podcasts. I appreciate your show. Thank you. I had a quick one for you. I have a 2009 Volkswagen Routon, mm-hmm. and I am getting oil into the coolant. Okay. And I've never seen that before in my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if you had, had any idea what would cause that. Well, <laughs> I'm not familiar with the European cars because I don't work on them, Daniel. However, one of the most common reasons for that is, of course, a blown head gasket. That's a classic symptom of a, of a blown head gasket, but it doesn't sure. necessarily mean that's what you've got. Check and see if that vehicle has a engine oil cooler on it and if it's water-cooled. Because that could also do the same thing if the seals in the oil cooler were bad, because that's where oil and water come together. So I'm not sure if it does, but I know a lot of Volkswagens do use oil coolers, and a lot of them are engine technically. This is technically a Vol- uh, Dodge Van Caravan. It's the four-liter Chrysler okay. engine that's used in the uh, Caravan. Well, and some of those do use uh, yeah. engine oil coolers. Okay. So, they, they told me that it was a separate cooler from the coolant, but... I'm not sure if uh, these people knew. If they Some were of them are air-cooled. In other words, it's just like a little device with fins in it and air runs across it. Yes. Some of them are coolant-cooled. So it just depends okay. on how it's made. Now, if the coolant and the thing come together, the coolant and they all come together there, that is certainly a potential leak point. Doesn't mean the coolant's okay. bad. It could be one of the seals. It could be the seals. Sometimes, too, where it comes out of the engine block, there'll be two holes in the engine block where oil comes out and goes back in sometimes there's also okay. a coolant passage there and a gasket that's blown okay. or ruptured there i know the ford Ford's yeah uses that the setup four six yeah the 4.6 there is an oil cooler on the side of the engine block and coolant goes in one side and even though it's not a coolant cooled oil cooler they all sure. come together right there and that gasket blows in a certain way the coolant will get into the oil yeah okay all right i'll take a look at that all right i appreciate it guys okay thanks for calling daniel Thank you, guys. Uh-huh. Thank you for your show. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. A lot of out-of-state calls today. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I, I think they're having problems. They're working on the tower, so I'm not 100% sure we're getting out or getting out completely locally. locally so right. maybe somebody can call us from Baton Rouge and say, yeah, you are. <laughs> no, you're not, one or the other. But we are getting quite a bit there. And you know, the earlier call, Ben, uh-huh. uh, with his voltage jumping up type thing, Another thing that occurs to me is that you can do a voltage drop 
tests on that and check all the cables and all very, very easily. Right. And Ben, if you're still listening, what you would do there is take the voltmeter and put one lead on the positive voltage terminal, put the second lead on the terminal where the positive voltage goes into the back of the alternator, the big right, terminal. The, the B terminal. Right. And if you got more than a half a volt flowing right there, then you've got a loose connection or a bad wire. Correct. Because what's happening is that you've created a good circuit with the voltmeter. So voltage is flowing around the other circuit, which means we've got high resistance in that original circuit. That would certainly tell you if you've got anything in the either the cable, like a loose loose uh, cable, cable or a corroded cable, corroded cable, maybe some acid wicked up inside of a cable, right. and it's got high resistance. You can find an awful lot of things with that very very simple test, which kind of leads in you know, what we were talking about uh-huh. earlier. A voltmeter can certainly test voltage but it can test a lot more things that it can and and knowing the limits of it is the key well that's it but you can find resistance a whole lot better than you can find it with an ohmmeter because it takes such a small amount of ohms particularly when you're dealing with low voltage situation to really restrict the flow you may not even show up on an ohmmeter correct but if you've got voltage flow around the circuit then you know you've got high resistance. And that has to be done under load. Correct. It has to be a circuit that you can load. Right, because if you check it unloaded, it's just going to read perfect. That's right. You may have 12.5 volts flowing, but you don't have 12.5 volts flowing under load because right. like you spoke well, about earlier. You've got a cable there that's probably got 18 or 20 strands in it. That's and right. And if, if all of them are broke but one, yeah, you, you will s- still get 12 volts unloaded. That's right. But when you load the circuit, you don't have enough wire carrying the, the current to check it to get the 12 volts to run the product that's, at the end, the end that's product. That's exactly right. It's sort of like a garden hose. If someone ran over the garden hose and blocked it off about 90%, if you check the pressure on the end of that hose, you would still have full water pressure there. Yes. But the second it started to flow, the pressure would drop to almost nothing. Well, it's the same that's thing the with same this. Thing. Voltage is sort of like pressure is in a circuit. It's the amount of pressure pushing through the circuit. So you've got full voltage if you've got conductivity at all. But when you put a load on it, when it starts to flow, then the voltage is going to drop, just like the water the flow would water drop, pressure would drop with a restricted circuit. Right. I know when they when we first learned how to use a voltmeter, mm-hmm. that was one of their uh, comparisons. They always used water because everybody knows how a hose works. That's right. And it was easy to ca- convert over to electrical. Right, right. Because with electrical, you have voltage, clearly, right. which is the pressure, for best lack of a better term, the amount of uh, flow through the thing. But then you have amperage, which is more like the amount of work it can do. That's the amount of current that's flowing through the circuit. Correct. And the two are not the same, even though they can kind of sort of relate back and forth to one another. I know we found a transmission problem years ago with that particular test. And what had happened is that one of the grounds to the solenoids had a little eyelet on it. And that little eyelet had gotten loose and uh-huh. some of the wires had pulled out. Right. But one wire was still in there. So that satisfied the computer. It saw flow on that circuit. Correct. There was a circuit there. However, when that solenoid energized, it pulled more current than could flow through that one little wire. So it would kind of partially open, but not enough, which gave you a very, very erratic shifting. Correct. And something like that could just be the devil to change i mean i've seen people change transmissions and rebuild transmissions oh, yeah. because and, of stuff like that and still end up with the same problem right and with a voltage drop test it showed up and then you just had to find that where particular the, circuit where that restriction was in the circuit mm-hmm. 
But ironically, once we found it, you could put an ohm meter across it, and it would read whatever a yeah. full circuit because it was that little ohm meter battery is such a small load, it could flow through there because it wasn't loading. Correct. So it just wasn't accurate enough. It was just it was a test, but it just wasn't the right test for the right application for that application. Correct. Another way I find you say, speaking about water, people understand voltage better. When you talk about the human body, people kind of get it a little better as well. And very, very often you'll hear people say, well, I did this test and it says this, so therefore this must be good. Uh And it doesn't necessarily mean that. There are a number of tests that, for instance, we take a voltmeter or an ohmmeter and we check an oxygen sensor and it's shorted to ground. Well, clearly it's bad because it's shorted to ground. But if it's not shorted to ground and it's not an open circuit, it does not mean it's good. It just means it doesn't have those two problems. It could still be the elements not reading properly. You would need a different type of tool to read that. It'd be sort of like if we checked a person's blood pressure and it was perfect, it doesn't mean they're perfectly healthy because they could have a fever Mm -hmm. and still not have high blood pressure. I mean, technically, they could have a brain tumor and not have high blood pressure. Right. I mean, it's the wrong test for the wrong. It's just an incomplete test. It's not the right test for the problem that we've got. Right. Another place where we see that a lot is people will come in, they've got an overheating problem on their car, Mm -hmm. and they've put a radiator, they've put a water pump, they've done all these things, but the car's still overheating. And you'll say, well, it could possibly be a head gas. Oh, no, it's not that. Well, how do you know it's not that? Have you checked? I'm not getting water and all. Okay, well, that's one way that a head gasket fails. Sure. But a lot of times they fail and you don't get water in the oil because it doesn't blow between the oil passage and the water. Right, or it blows say, between the cylinder and, and right. outside. They'll say, well, I did a carbon dioxide test. I'm not getting carbon dioxide in the coolant. Okay, but again, that doesn't always reveal it. Now, if you have a positive carbon dioxide in the coolant, then you have a... Then you definitely do have a problem. Correct. But if you got a negative, it doesn't mean you do not have a problem. Right. It just means it's not showing up at that, <laughs> at that time, particular at that time. time or under that application. It may have to get completely heated up for the crack or whatever to open up. It may have to be under a load where it shows up. Mm-hmm. So you can misinterpret results. Another classic example that we see with that a lot of times is that people will come in, they've got a vibration under load. And you say, well, that is very often a bad universal joint. No, I checked the U-joints. Okay, how did you check them? Well, I reached under there and grabbed the shaft, and it didn't move. Well, I, I wobbled it back and forth, and there was no slack in it. Okay, okay well, that's but one way that U-joints go bad. That's right. If we've got a seized-up roller, there may be no slack. Well, there's most, most likely not going to be. Yeah, because it's seized up. Right. But it's going to vibrate like the devil. Because when you, it's when not rolling up. smoothly. What you have to do is take that shaft out and physically run each joint in its hemisphere and make sure it moves smooth. That's right. That is perfectly free because if it's any resistance in there, then you're going to get that vibration. You're going to get one. Hey, one last little break. We'll be right back with more. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. 
Bring your vehicle in once a year, and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Still got a few minutes left in the show. And should you happen maybe not to make that last few minutes we got That's or right. think of something after we go off the air today or even next week at midnight, you can always get your questions answered through our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Click the button, fill out the little form, and send it on in. There you go. Get your answer back within 24 hours always, and most times a lot faster, particularly a, during the week. Because depends I'm on generally, what time of day it comes in. Well, during the week, I'm normally sitting at a computer all day long, and I try to check that email several times during the day. In the mornings, particularly like a Monday or Tuesday when I'm really, really booked up, I may not get to it quite as fast. But on the weekends, I try to check it in the morning and uh-huh. check it in the evening. So it may take a little longer on the weekend. But, but uh, you, you will get something back within right. 24 hours. Even when I'm on vacation. That's it. Now, it's going to be a little slower still. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a little slower still. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, should you happen not to get an email back, check That's the right. spam folder. Right. Also check the return address because mm-hmm. if it comes to us with a wrong address, we have nowhere to send it back to. That's right. I had a I mean, email one, later or earlier this week, and I sent it and immediately popped back to me. And I tried to figure out what could be wrong, but it did. Uh-huh. So it, that gentleman just did not get an answer back. He right. have to figure out that hey, one little character off. And yeah, it's, it's not that I tried to not pay attention to you or not answer your thing because I do answer every single email sent to me. Uh-huh. And it just sometimes if they pop back, that's all I can do. I right. can't try to figure out what you meant to put. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, just be sure you do get the right email address. And like Brian alluded to, check your spam folder because certain email filters uh-huh. will see that and they see it coming from a server, a commercial server, and they may think it's spam. So right. they just they'll stick it, it into a, Yeah, they'll throw it into a folder. I know we get that a lot when folks like us to email an estimate to them uh-huh. uh, and we'll send it and maybe they're at work. And because it comes a PDF attachment, that business server sees that attachment right and, says, and no, throws, all right we're not gonna let you open this right it throws it into some kind of a spam folder and you just can't get through it sometimes you can get the administrator to allow it to come through or sometimes it will show you where it is but some of them just filter it out right and, and don't even let you know it came through right if it's a commercial server i know some of the big industrial plants and stuff around here have pretty good protection mm-hmm. on their servers they do and i have tried to email things to them and generally it will not go through it just gets rid of it yeah and you have to tell the administrator you're expecting this and who has come from then they'll put you down as a safe sender and it'll allow it to go through correct after that if you need to receive it at work so just something to think about yeah yeah definitely in this technological age we live in (laughs) (laughs) all kind of little security features oh absolutely we were talking today about voltmeters and, and such as that and there was probably a time when most mechanics, maybe unless they were a electrical specialist, they probably didn't own a voltmeter. Uh-huh. You could do an awful lot of mechanic work and never even have to use a voltmeter. Right. But today, that is as common as a screwdriver or a ratchet. Oh, yeah. It's just another tool in the in it, the basic tools that you have to have. And it is probably the most basic fundamental tool that you can have and still get some work done. 
and it will still do a great deal of work. It will. There's a number of things you can accomplish with nothing more than a voltmeter. You will save many, many, many times the cost of the tool just by using it and not making mistakes. Sure. Another thing we get a lot is folks will come in and they'll say, my power window wouldn't work. I replaced the motor and it still won't work. Right. What do you think it could be? Well, again, if we put a voltmeter at the motor and we did not have power and ground there, then it doesn't mean the motor's not bad, like we talked about earlier, but it means we don't have power and ground here. So we've, we've got, got to, to figure back, that out first. You've got to back up. I have seen instances where a motor would go bad, short out, and take the switch out. Sure. So it could be you had two problems. Well, and, you know, that's back in the day, that's kind of the way power windows were, were worked on. Mm-hmm. Today, you have to have a computer understanding because when you push that button on the door to put the window down, you send a request to the body computer. Right. The body computer looks around at the rest of the computers. It checks the ECM and decides for itself, hey, we can go ahead and put this window down for him. Well, because if it thinks the car is being stolen, it's not going to roll the window down. Exactly. You know, if it thinks you are a thug trying to get this window down you shouldn't right uh, it's, it's, it's not going to do not going to allow that window to go down whereas back in the day you push the button well, it, it put a- power to the motor it went down right right you're not doing that today you no. got to have an understanding of how the system works to understand how to work on it. well for the most part what it's going to do is like you said it's going to send a request and it's going to look at the bcm which is going to look at the pcm and they're going to decide between them if they want the window to go down they do the ground relay and that relay is going to put power to the window and it's going to roll down correct and some of them even have digital motors on them now. They don't even have analog motors anymore. There'll be like 15 wires going into this motor. It's a stepper-type uh-huh. motor. And those, if you don't have a factory-type scan tool, you pretty right, much lost. You, there's just nothing you're going to be able to do because there's, you can't text that with a voltmeter or any of those. It's a, it's a pulse-width modulated signal that rolls this window down, which I don't know why they need that much complexity, but I mean, it, somebody it, decided it was a good it, idea. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody had to had to keep a job. Well, I guess so. You know, if, if you're a car engineer and you don't keep coming up with new stuff, if you just invented <laughs> the perfect car, yeah. they'd fire you. Wait, <laughs> you'd, you'd work yourself out of a job. That's right. You know, earlier uh, last week, I think it was, there was a news story where this guy had a Toyota, and I think it might have been a Tundra. That I've heard had that. had one million miles on it. I've heard that. And Toyota bought it back uh-huh. from them and gave them another new tundra. I said, yeah, those engineers took that toward down. So, okay, where we mess up? Right. <laughs> Why did this thing Why go did this last long? So long? <laughs> <laughs> Let's fix this problem right now. <laughs> yeah, buddy. And of course that's just tongue in cheek, but they, they don't really want a car to last forever. No. And you think I mean, about it. In their, it's in their best interest. It's in their best interest. And we see that a lot after 2007, right. where the big auto manufacturers started all going bankrupt. And one of the things they looked at was, hey, these cars, people are keeping cars for two and 300,000 miles. Right. So for everyone who keeps a car 300,000 miles. We've lost two sales. That is two more cars we didn't sell. Exactly. And the way they got it figured is, hey, we're going to build this car for 100,000 mile service life. 100 grand, you got your money's worth. That's it. Right. It's time to get another one. Well, yeah. And I'm sure they would like to program something in there that had 100,000 <laughs> miles. It just quits running, you know. Yeah. Or you blows, let, blows let the, up or let, something. Just yeah. lets the smoke out of the PCM. Yeah, it just disintegrates. You know, it'd be like uh, um, Mission Impossible. There you and, go. But the message just disintegrates after <laughs> you listen to it. You know, it'd be the same thing on your car. And, of course, they're not quite that cutthroat yet, but uh, I, yeah. don't, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. <laughs> that certainly <laughs> makes, is. Makes you wonder. Certainly is the way it seems to be going. Yeah. So, hey, I tell you, we are just about out of time. I want to start winding it on up and moving it on out of here. 
tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this Saturday morning, every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week. And, and for calling for in. Calling in this week. We had a bunch of out-of-state calls this week. So there you go. Glad to hear that. And you got to go to your favorite rebroadcast service and fill out the written review. That's right. If you give us a written review, a positive written review, it's going to move us up in the rankings so that – when people look for an automotive show, they don't necessarily go in and look for the automotive hour. They just type in auto uh-huh. repair. The ones with the more positive ratings are higher, so they come up first. And so that's the one they're more likely to, to, to listen to. Listen to. And right. the more people listen, the more they let us do the show because they run us off if nobody listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> that they would. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.